I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Marina Fogel welcoming you to The Parenthood, the podcast that tackles all things parenting. I was shocked to learn this week that UK adults spend more time on our screens than we do sleeping. It's estimated that each of us averages a whopping 8 hours and 41 minutes of screen time every day. And for, other, for our children, that figure is only fractionally lower, six and a half hours a day. As we become more dependent on our phones, tablets and screens, what is becoming evident is that the amount of time we interact with screens as opposed to people is impacting a generation's mental health, our ability to focus and concentrate and even our ability to sleep. There's even persuasive research linking excessive screen time to damage of the brain. With that horror in mind, I'm delighted to have digital detox evangelist Tanya Goodin with me today. Some of you might be surprised to hear that Tanya's entire career has been centered around the internet. She was one of the earliest pioneers of the digital age, developing transactional websites before the age of e-commerce and optimizing search engines before the Google founders even went to Stanford. More recently, though, she's become one of the most powerful advocates of a digital detox. In 2515, she founded the website Time to Log Off, providing resources, compiling research, and in her words, encouraging the screen dependent to learn to unplug. Tanya, welcome to The Parenthood. Thank you for being with us today. You have a really unique perspective. You're obviously part of that internet boom, and so you're uniquely positioned to understand why our use of screens might be harming us at a time, at the same time as, as benefiting us, as entertaining us, um, helping us communicate. At what point did you realise that this was going to become a bigger problem than we initially thought? I think for me, I noticed my focus and concentration was really being affected by spending so much time on screens. Um, and I was an early adopter. I've always been an early adopter of technology. So I queued up to get the very first iPhone when it came out in uh, 2007. Always had multiple screens at home. And somebody asked me whether um, what I was reading at the time. And I realised I hadn't read a book for two years. And I thought, I wonder if it's connected to all the screen juggling that I do and all the time I'm spending on screen. So I actually went out to Silicon Valley and I kind of toured around and I spoke to a lot of the people working in the big software companies out there. And I found there was a huge groundswell of people working in tech like me who had noticed adverse effects. Um, and then I started seeing them in other people that I knew because actually, although I've been working 24-7 online, 
um, for over 20 years, we're now pretty much all spending, you know, most of our days, as you said, right at the beginning of the podcast, you know, presu- eight hours a day on screen. So everybody's noticing the same things. Presumably it's, it's the tablets too, because they're just so addictive and accessible and they're there and they do so many things presumably it was that so the advent of the, the the smartphone and the tablets yeah and it's interesting you mentioned tablets because I think one of the things that started me off on my journey as well was when I discovered that Steve Jobs didn't let his own children use the iPad so when the iPad was launched in 2010 a journalist went to interview him about the launch of the iPad and happened to mention oh your kids must love it Steve and he said oh no 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 we don't let them use technology at home That's amazing. and I read that interview and I thought gosh I wonder if other tech CEOs feel like this and actually there's a lot of evidence when you I mean Bill Gates didn't let his children have a smartphone until they were 14. Um, One of the co-founders of Facebook said recently God knows what this tech is doing to my children's brains so um, all of that kind of came together and made me think I think there is a problem here that we need to be talking about more. And I mean, all of us spend a lot of time on our computers. You know, it's a lot of time for work. I do a lot of writing. I have to be in front of a computer. It, I I also understand that it's easy just to kind of glance at your phone and then before you know it, you're sucked into whatever you're doing. But is, is addiction the right word for it? Would you say that's too strong a word or are we just unaware of you know, the power of these things that we've invited into our lives? I think um, two things about one that. One is probably most of us are not addicts. We're overly dependent. But actually, the software industry is a billion-dollar industry that's that's playing on our brain processes to try and make us hooked. Um, one of the key chemicals involved in addiction is dopamine. It's the feel-good chemical. It's also the do-it-again chemical. And I discovered recently there's actually a company in Silicon Valley called um, Dopamine Labs who openly advertise that they will make your app addictive. You know, they use the language of addiction. When I first started out in software, app designers used to talk about making apps sticky so you'd want to come back. But they now openly say, let's make it addictive. So I think a definition of addiction is around whether it's negatively affecting your life. So if we're all enjoying all the time we spend on screens and we're not neglecting our families, we're not neglecting our friends, we're not neglecting healthy eating and exercise, we're probably not addicted. But most people, if you ask them, would say there's probably one of those areas that does get neglected when they're being sucked into screen time. Well, I was reading yesterday in the papers that, um, you know, there's a cohort of, of uh Uh, tech execs who were comparing the addiction to what the nicotine industry were doing in the sort of back in the day about making it purposefully addictive and actually they should be regarded in the same sort of sphere as 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 the as the nicotine industry yeah i mean i i said in an interview recently that we you know we talk about big tobacco and big sugar we should be talking about big tech And I think the worry is not for us so much as adults, it's for children. It's the fact that children are increasingly using this technology that's designed to be addictive at younger and younger ages. I read recently, I was horrified to find out that 9% of parents give smartphones to five-year-olds. Their own smartphones? No, no, yes, their own smartphones, yes. 
So I was really shocked when I read that. Um, the average age of giving a smartphone is uh, 10 and a half years in the UK. Most software is designed for 13 plus. So children are getting access to software and technology that's not designed for them. We don't know the impact on the developing brain. You know, as adults, we all started using this technology when our brains were fully developed. We don't know, and we may not know for another couple of decades, the impact of giving technology to children when their brain processes are developing. Um, and I think that's the real worry for me around what the tech industry is doing. And... I mean, when you say sort of 9% giving their phone, I, I definitely gave my phone to the five-year-old just with a sort of an app that was age specific and suitable for five minutes when we were waiting in the doctor's waiting room, for example. Um, this is, is this is five-year-olds having their own smartphone though. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so oh. not being passed a smartphone, yeah. actually having their own smartphone. And I can't think of any reason why a five-year-old needs their own smartphone. Yeah, I can't think of any reason why a five-year-old needs a 500-pound top. Yes. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's in the realm of digital babysitting, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of, um, and I see a lot of that as well. There was one. There was one statistic on your website saying that eighty percent of us uh, check their phone first thing in the morning, and often it's the phone get that gets touched first, as opposed to our partner. Um, and and I see that. I see the phone creeping into every part of our lives. But what is that sort of wider wider impact? Where, where are we noticing? Uh, problematic behavior uh, with you know lots of smartphone use and lots of screen use I mean there's so many different areas that it's impacting I mean in terms of um, relationships I think for me there's no um, coincidence that loneliness is on the rise um, because so many people are now escaping behind their screens rather than have you know interactions with people Uh, mental health um, we know there's a lot of very good research now around, you know, more time, the more time you spend on social media, the more likely you are to be unhappy. Um, increased levels of anxiety have been linked to increasing um, smartphone use, sleep, focus and concentration, stress. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. And then there are all the physical problems with tech neck, which I've suffered from myself when you're hunched over a phone, uh, dry eye syndrome, more and more ophthalmic, uh, um opticians sorry are reporting that uh, children particularly are coming with really dry eyes because they're staring at screens uh, RSI of the thumb I mean the list goes on and the, the the mental health I think is quite interesting do you think that is a combination of sort of not getting out and having actual one-to-one conversations and physical relationships um, but also this this quest for, for, for perfection which in social media is very prolific, especially amongst the teens. You know, it's so easy to make your life look perfect with the specific filter on it. And very few of us are honest on our Instagram account about, you know, no one posts pictures of the rainy day. When yeah, or when got- we're feeling unhappy. Yeah, I mean, I think the comparison effect of social media is really insidious for growing children, for teenagers. I mean, I think back to when I was a teen, um, you know, and how you feel about yourself and how you're developing your identity and your confidence. And I imagine, how would I feel if I was bombarded all the time with pictures of, you know, girls my own age looking perfect? And even though they know, when I talk to children in schools, they know about filters, they know about photoshopping, they've all got those apps on their phones, they all touch up their pictures. Even though they know that, being bombarded with pictures of perfect lives and perfect bodies... 
I think is so hard. And as you say, none of us are honest. You know, we, we don't say, actually, I'm having a really hard time. I'm feeling miserable. We say, look at my wonderful holiday. Look at my beautiful children. Um, but I think also that kind of sense that it's easier to have a relationship with a screen because real world relationships are messy and complicated and they need effort means that children can hide behind screen-based relationships. Because again, we all know, don't we, that it's difficult to go out and meet people and talk to them. Um, and if you've got a screen relationship, that's a lot easier. So I worry about that. There, there was actually a really interesting piece of research from California, um, UCLA, where they took all screens away from 11-year-olds for a week. And they had a control group. And they weren't really sure what they were going to find between the two. But one really striking difference was the group they took screens away from were better able to read body language and nonverbal communication at the end of the week. And I thought that was fascinating because you read a lot about um, millennials lacking empathy and, you know, the kind of that generation being a kind of, um, you know, me obsessed. And I thought, I wonder if that's part of, you know, the environment that they're growing up in. You know, when you interact only with a screen-based person you lose the ability to read those really subtle, you know, kind of body language signs and cues. Um, and what's that doing to relationship skills? And also in terms of expression, I know that when I use WhatsApp, I don't, never even use Snapchat, but when I use WhatsApp, I don't articulate in the way that I do when I'm face to face with someone or even on email, just because I've got this tiny little keyword that's often predicting what I don't want to say. And, and then you use emoticons. So you know, it is impossible to have a meaningful conversation. But if that's how they're all having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and how do they learn? How do they learn all those communication skills, which are, you know, the most important skill probably we have as humans, how we communicate with each other and build relationships. Um, how do you learn that when your primary method of communication is screens? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And you mentioned sleep how is that being affected? Is that that children are just on their screens until late at night or the increased use of screen is making them making it harder for them to go to sleep? I think it's both areas. We, we thought for a while that if you use your screen right the way up to bedtime, um, that has an impact because the screen emits this blue light, which interferes with melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. 
Um, so I think, you know, more and more when I talk to parents and children in the schools, they understand that we should be putting our screens away before bed. But actually, a new piece of research came out recently, which showed that if teenagers are using screens for more than four hours a day at any time during the day they're less likely to get good sleep at night so I think what we're seeing is the screens are affecting us not just in the bedroom and not just right the way up to bed but you know we're being kind of overstimulated by this blue light there was there I read on your website there's a bit of research saying that potentially our brains are being changed or potentially damaged by increased use of screen time tell, tell me about that um, that's a specific piece of research around gaming and video gaming addiction um, that actually the gray matter of the brain um, of the gaming addict has been shown to be deteriorating and gaming addiction has just been recognized by the World Health Organization as a specific addiction you know referring to your earlier point about whether it's an addiction so we haven't got any um, evidence that isolates internet and screen use away from gaming but you know I'd be willing to I'd be willing to uh, hypothesize that in a few years time we may well see that it's having the same effect on developing brains again um, that that's that's the thing I really kind of focus on um, what happens when your brain is developing and you're using this highly addictive technology and that's probably easier to look at because gaming's been around for a lot longer than sort of specific tablets and yeah. I mean I remember at university there were people I was with who literally frittered away four years of their university career by gaming and they didn't even get out of bed they didn't get out of their pajamas yeah. they were just totally addicted to computer games but all those same techniques that game designers build into their games are now being used by social media software designers to build into social media so the gaming industry as you say is older you know more sophisticated but those same neuroscientists and behavioral experts that were employed by the gaming industry are now working with people like Snapchat and Instagram to make those apps addictive, to gamify um, the experience of being on social media. So we should be concerned about that. Yeah. In terms of children specifically, um, I mean, obviously, as adults, we have had screens impact our lives sort of in the last 10 years significantly. But actually, my childhood certainly was was pretty um, lacking in screens because the TV was on, you know, channel one, two, three and four. And that was that there were no mobile phones. In terms of our children who are being brought up in a world, you know, they were born into a world with screens. They were probably saw their first screen moments after they were born after a camera phone was thrust yeah, into their face yes. <laughs> and shared online. Yeah. Um, what are we noticing a specific impact on children that are sort of, you know, the sort of five to 15 sort of age range, this, this, this cohort? Well, there was a huge piece of research that came out in America and has been the subject of a book, iGen, um, recently, which claims that the decrease in mental health in that specific generation is linked specifically to the use of smartphones. Um, and there's lots of debate in the academic communi community. I've sat with rooms of scientists saying this is correlation, not causation. We don't definitely know that the two are linked. But we do have a generation that um, the NHS said they think this generation are amongst the most sleep deprived that they've ever had. And we do have a generation that probably are suffering more mental health issues than previous so again you know some of this scientific evidence isn't definitively proved but if you're a parent if you're working with children I think we should be concerned enough now to start taking you know corrective action 
Yeah. Speech delay. Do you think that's a that's an issue that, you know, especially with the whole idea of the digital babysitter that children are, is, has it been proven that children are speaking a little bit later? I did read some um, research about this thing they've dubbed technoference, which is um, basically if the adult is on the phone and not attending to the child, yes, they're noticing behavioural problems and speech delays. Um, and that's all about, you know, parents spending too much time on their screens around their babies and around their children and toddlers and not actually focusing on that face to face communication. So, yeah, there is a little bit of um, research around that. I know because obviously I talk to women who are about to have babies as, as the kind of main part of my job. And one of the things I'm always saying to new mothers is try and put away your phone because babies, you know, if, if a baby is not smiled at, it will never smile. So yeah. the engagement when you're changing their nappy, when you're just sort of they're sitting on your lap, and you're looking at them. It's so important to be engaged with them. It's so important to be responsive to them and smiling and frowning and using all those facial actions, which are so important to us as, as humans. If you're sort of slightly bored and just blank faced looking down at your phone that is without a doubt going to have an impact on your child yeah I think when we've got very young children at home we should be thinking about smartphones a bit like the way we think about the glass of wine that we have only when they've gone to bed Um, so in the same way that we wouldn't be drinking around our children all the time I think our smartphones should be away should be away in our pockets when the children are there well, ultimately, we're teaching them. You yes, know, we lead by example. Totally. They, yeah. you know, they watch us walk. They walk. They watch us communicate. They communicate. They watch us engage with our smartphones the whole time. They want to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, we've known for a long while that if you grow up in a house with heavy smokers, you're more likely to smoke. If you grow up in a house with heavy drinkers, you're more likely to have a drinking problem. It's not rocket science to think that in a few years' time, we're going to discover that children who grow up with screen problems had parents who are very heavy users. I really like your um, your comparison to, you know, the glass of wine after the child has gone to bed, because what you're not saying is abstain from it totally, yeah, you know, banish no. the smoke yeah. from it. I mean, that's not realistic. And I think that if you were saying that people would sort of switch off this podcast now. But what can you do to just make that relationship that we have with the smartphones that have to be really a part of most of our lives a bit more healthy um, and hopefully not with so much negativity around our children's development? Yeah, in fact, I think the alcohol um, comparison is probably not a great comparison. I always use the comparison with food um, and in the same way that we need to teach our children what a healthy food diet looks like, we need to teach them what a healthy digital diet looks like. So um, we wouldn't probably be eating a lot of junk food endlessly around our children um, because they'd be watching what we were doing. So I think it's really just about modelling good behaviour and setting boundaries because the problem is not that this technology exists. It's fantastic technology and it's really valuable and useful for us as adults and for our children who are growing up with access to this amazing online resource of every piece of information in the world online I mean it's incredible what they have Um, but it's the unlimited access it's the lack of boundaries and it's also what I call digital junk food so it's that um, aimless scrolling on a screen when you're a bit bored you're a bit distracted you're not really sure what to do and you get sucked into the internet black hole for an hour when you only went online to check an email. So it's setting clear boundaries around the time you use screens, um, how you're using them and maybe places. Uh, one of one of the um, 
statistics I always quote to people is around how many of us take our phones to the loo with us. Um, and 70% of us admit to taking our phones to the loo. I think the other 30% are lying, I have to say. Um, that's one place, surely, that we can set a boundary around and say we really don't need to take our phones to the loo with us. Um, meal tables. Most families have rules around meal tables. But in fact, I asked a group of children recently and at least a third said they put their hands up and said they had no rules about phones at the table. So that would be one of my places, you know, that phones don't belong. Bedrooms, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, in my book, I try and come up with, I think I've got 50 different ideas of different types of boundaries that you can set. And the important thing is a bit like a food diet. The same thing's not going to work for all of us because we're all different. We've all got different families, different lifestyles, different ways of dealing with things. We've got to find what works for us. But the goal is how do we cut down on overall screen time and how do we use it in a way that's really healthy and productive? What I really like about your book is that you sort of um, encourage families to decide together what the sort of rules should be or what the kind of code of conduct should be so that it applies to all the families it's not that the parents can have unlimited screen time and can access whatever they want on their phones whenever they want but that all the families put their phones away after a certain amount of time or at meal times because I suppose you know if you've decided together as a family that's what you're going to do your children are going to be on board with it and they're much more likely to yeah I think there's a lot of problem calls at the moment by finger pointing between um, parents and children and parents saying you know it's the child that has a problem and then again you know when I talk to children there's always two or three that say actually it's my dad who says he's checking work email and then I can see he's on BBC Sport or it's my mum who says she's doing a shop online but actually I know she's on Facebook so I think you know we can't expect our children to have uh, a healthy relationship unless we do it too and we're much more likely to get buy-in if we all agree together look this is one of our family rules Um, you know we don't take phones upstairs we don't take screens into the bedroom we don't use them at the dinner table Um, I think although our children are growing up with technology we're going through a tech adolescence ourselves because as you say like you I didn't have this technology when I grew up So we're all learning how to use screens um, and we kind of need to help each other out a bit. And when you have that attitude with children, I think you really get their engagement and involvement because you say, look, you know, I know I'm on my phone too much. So what can we all do? You know, let's let's have a rule um, that we'll try something different um, and we'll work out what works for us. I think one of the other key points is boredom because with a smartphone no one's bored not even for a minute you're sitting in a waiting room or you're waiting for the tube and you immediately get out your phone and you stimulate yourself and that didn't exist and I think those periods of time where your brain can just think whether you're waiting at a red traffic light and you notice the way the clouds are movement moving or I, I think that's really really important you know when I was little we were made to go at school to chapel twice a day and you know whether or not you're religious the absolute benefit of that was sort of boredom learning to deal with boredom and learning to let your mind wander it was almost like a sort of mindfulness before the term was even invented and yet children who are constantly around smartphones are unable to be bored or idle for one minute of the day and and actually that's when your most creative your best ideas come I mean I go for a run twice a week and I never have my phone on I never listen to anything because actually having that opportunity to think 
having that opportunity to sort my head out and to work out what conflicts I might be having in my life or what I'm going to write about next, that is such invaluable time for me. And yet if you constantly stimulated by a phone and constantly listening to something, then you don't have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of the first symptoms I noticed in myself was lack of creativity. I remember thinking, I don't have ideas anymore I don't have good ideas anymore and at one stage I thought you know what maybe it's just my age maybe you get to a certain age and you run out of ideas and when I went on I mean I did a three-month digital detox so I was kind of hardcore when I first started on this no computers no nothing Nothing. what what did you do for work write letters Um, well I I was lucky enough to be able to take some time (laughs) off um I mean I had a a non-smartphone phone I had a you know little Nokia phone so I could ring people and communicate And the ideas literally came flooding back. And I thought, do you know what? It's about having that space, exactly as you say, that headspace for something to pop in. And if we're constantly filling that space all the time with, you know, junk, digital junk, we don't have good ideas. And, you know, I say to children, we we still need people that are going to solve big problems in the world. We need people that are going to, you know, solve global warming, um, who are going to look at, uh, you know, the big issues that face us. And in order to solve a big problem, you need a lot of headspace to actually really be able to think about it. And I I do worry about that because, you know, more of us need to be doing it. So how do you operate? And do you have a sort of digital, do you have couple of days a week where you don't have any any screens how does it work for you how have you made it work uh, well the first thing I should say is that I'm not a saint <laughs> and that I find it as difficult as everybody else I read a really great Chinese um, saying the other day that you teach the subject you most need to learn and I thought actually that's really true of me parenting for me <laughs> Well, I started out on this whole journey because I had an issue and I thought I need to work out how to solve it. And now I'm passionate about helping other people. So, I mean, obviously things I do myself won't necessarily work for everyone. But one thing I absolutely swear by um, are notifications on phones. So I have all my notifications switched off. No exception. I even have a silent ringtone. Um, So I choose when I check my phone and I've been like that for two years now. And when I stand next to somebody that still has their notifications on, I think, gosh, how can you deal with that? Because it looks like a slot machine. Um, All the things popping up and all the buzzers and banners. So I absolutely swear by that. Um, I would say I'm kind of 80% there on not having my phone in my bedroom, but it creeps back in. And it's one of the things my children pull me up on um, because we all have the rule about leaving the phone outside and I'll get them saying to me, I think you had your phone last night in your bedroom. Um, But I kind of get myself on track a bit like I do when I've, you know, eaten too many carbs or after Christmas. I think, oh, I've just gone through a period where, you know, I've had it in my phone. I've taken it to the loo. I've actually dropped it in the bath three times. Um, and the loo once. That's, that's one of the things that made me decide this really doesn't belong here. Um, and actually with the loo, you know, we go to the loo and we wash our hands. We don't wash our smartphones. Yeah. So actually, it was, I would say it was before I had used the loo. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I, I mean, I, I would say notifications, bedroom. And then I do have periods of the year where I'm completely off 
line. So I try a thing which I've called the 5-2 digital diet, which is, you know, I have to be on it during the week. At the weekend, I try and stay off it completely. Not always successful. You know, if there's something I'm going to and I need to navigate or I want to take a picture, then I do. But I'm pretty good on that. Um, and then because I run retreats where I take people away, I have, you know, at least a couple of weeks of the year where I'm completely off screen. And I come back from those weeks buzzing with ideas and solutions over things um, that have, you know, been real problems before. So I love them. I was uh, going down to stay with my parents in the country a couple of weekends ago. And as I was about 15 minutes off on my journey and I realized I'd left my phone at home. And I thought, do I turn around, go back through the traffic to get it? And I thought, no, Marina, you can do this. In fact, it was first after we'd, we'd spoken and, and I looked at your website and I thought, no, Marina, you are, you know, born in 1978 you're the generation that can do it show yourself you can do it and I did it and it was fine it was a bit inconvenient because I didn't have a phone and I couldn't you know I couldn't sort of get that last minute update on whatever we were going to do but it made me realize that it is really healthy not to be able to check Instagram the whole time but I I suppose for me what I would find healthy would be to things like do things like disengage Instagram, Facebook, all those time-wasting kind of scrolling your life away apps as opposed to the, the stuff that you really need. So if you did run out of petrol, you could actually pick up your phone and call the RAC to come and collect you. Yeah, I have all the really useful apps on the first screen of my phone and then I kind of hide all the social media and time-wasting apps. Even my iMessage app and my email app, they're all on the second and third screens. Um, exactly for that reason because it's one more delay to get there Um, and at certain times of the year I take them off completely so at Christmas I took all social media off my phone and just used it to communicate with family and friends yeah well this is amazing Tanya thank you so much for for chatting to us Um, I must say at the start of this podcast I felt really quite bleak and kind of guilty of my unsuspecting use of screens and how it might be impacting me not only as an individual but as a mother and potentially a wife um I think it's just so important to think about how we pick up our phones or before we pick up our phones. Because like you said, it's, it's, it's one of those reflexes that we it's know. It's a habit. Yeah. And we just all need to be more mindful of it. Yeah. Despite the growing evidence that they are bad for us, screens aren't going to be banned anytime soon and nor can we ban our children from them. But if we're mindful, as you said, about how much we use them, that we, we, and we take steps to limit their usage, um, it's probably going to help hugely. So just being aware um, is obviously going to be a hugely beneficial thing. So thank you so much for coming to talk about this. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd really recommend having a look at Tanya's website. It's it's timetologoff.com. So that's one, it's www.itstimetologoff.com. It's full of fascinating facts, but also practical ways to cut down on your screen time. Tanya's book, Off, Your Digital Detox for a Better Life is available from Amazon and all good bookshops. And her next book stop staring at screens is out on october the 4th it's uh, aimed at parents and children to read together and actually i think i'm definitely going to pre-order it from amazon so thank you for that excellent thank you uh, we hope you've all enjoyed listening to this episode of the parenthood if you haven't already do subscribe to us it means that you'll all be alerted when each new episode is available so that you never miss out and a huge favor to us before you go please do take the time to rate The Parenthood. With lots of reviews, we broaden our listener base and with that, we can record even more episodes. But in the meantime, from Tanya and me, thank you for listening.